welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Before we start the show, I want to tell you that Suzanne Wilson and I recorded a product. It's a two-hour video called The Afterlife and the Holidays, which is loaded with really good information about evidence of the afterlife, help through grief, and some great advice to make connections with our loved ones. We offer a lot of bonus gifts. I even do this um, slideshow called Sandra's Top 10 Reasons to Believe in the Afterlife with some pretty interesting pictures. Now, we are selling it for $35, but the proceeds go back to this show. So, as you know, uh, this is a free show, and I along with some donations, uh, support it commercial free. So there's also a a 100% money back guarantee. If it's not something you like, you get your money back. No strings attached. The website for it is if you go to wedontdieradio.com and then just click on store and then you'll see a link to find out more. So on to our great show. Our guest today is psychic medium William Stillman, and he's an award-winning author of many books, including the Autism and the God Connection book trilogy that explores aspects of spiritual giftedness in many people with autism. Besides his work as a psychic and a spiritual counselor, William volunteers his time as an investigative resource to the Pennsylvania Paranormal Association and has been consulted on missing person and unsolved homicide cases. He has a brand new book that was just published last month, and it's called The Secret Language of Spirit understanding spirit communication in our everyday lives. Now, I know there's a lot more about him, um, and we'll let him tell us in his own words. His site is williamstillman.com. William Stillman, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I'm excited about it and looking forward to having a great chat with you. Me too. And I just said before we started recording that sometimes I get so excited that I trip over my words and you just saw a dem- or heard a demonstration of that. So I'm excited, really, <laughs> truly. Uh, where Not are you coming worry. to us from day? You're, you're on the East Coast like I am, Pennsylvania? I am in Pennsylvania, yes, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful day here, and, you know, no offense to anyone that has snow, but it's in the 50s here today, so uh, it's a great day. Lucky you, and we are recording this uh, December 19th, actually, in 2017. You never know how far in the future someone is listening to this, so it's, it is winter time here, but we do have listeners all over the world, so just a really warm welcome to our listener today also. So, William, how does your star- story begin? Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your past and how you got into, oh, gosh, you've done so much, but I know you know your story better than I, so the floor is yours, so to speak. Well, thank you, Sandra. You know, um, I am a firm believer that we all possess gifts and talents. And for those of us who are truly fortunate, those gifts and talents can define our vocation, what we do for our employment, or they can define our avocations, our, our hobbies and our passions. But I'm also very much a believer that we all uniquely possess spiritual gifts and talents as well. And I have been blessed and privileged to discover what those gifts and talents are within myself, but that didn't happen until I was in my late 30s or early 40s. So a little bit later on in life, I was something of a late bloomer, I think. 
How did I was. that? How did that happen? Just yeah. an interest of yours that to get into this field? Well, I've always been interested and intrigued in things that were unusual and unexplained, and I actually grew up in a family where that was something that could be discussed at the dinner table You're lucky. without being shut without oh. being shut down. Yes. Right. So my parents were actually interested in topics like um ghosts and um UFOs and Bigfoot and things like that. And I still have books that I got uh over forty years ago for Christmas of about the Loch Ness monster and so on. So I've always been really interested and intrigued in things that do not have a, a quick and easy explanation. But I started out life as an intensely, exquisitely, painfully sensitive child. And one of my earliest recollections of the degree of that kind of empathy was sitting in a church pew during service and sobbing uncontrollably and not being able to contain that emotion. And I became aware of my parents whispering back and forth, and they just suddenly picked me up and we walked out during the middle of service, which which sort of shocked me at the time. And I never told anyone what was going on with me, but I had been staring at a glorious terrible stained glass window of the crucifixion. And I was grieving as a a five or six-year-old, I was grieving for the pain that Christ must have endured just by looking at the stained glass window. Uh, That's really sensitive, I think, in hindsight. And, you know, when you're that empathetic and that exquisitely sensitive as a child, it's accepted up until a certain point. And the, the tipping point for me was entering adolescence because that kind of gentleness doesn't go over real well with other little boys, especially as people are becoming more mature and more sophisticated and they sort of break off into factions and cliques. And I was easily odd man out. And so I entered into a very dark and destructive period of time that lasted for about seven to eight years of my life. And on a virtually daily basis, I was verbally abused and physically harassed. And my speech and my body language were publicly and openly mocked and mimicked in front of adults who did little to nothing to to curtail it from happening. And in hindsight, I recognize now that I developed a very severe depression. I almost committed suicide as a teenager Oh no! on more than one occasion. Um, and I also developed a post-traumatic stress disorder. So I had a lot of nightma- nightmares and night terrors and um, developed a lot of uh, social anxieties, uh, developed a lot of phobias about going to school and so on. But I think, and this is the point I want to drive home to those listening, I think the thing that occurred that was most profound was I did not have a support system in place around me. 
And I began to reflect back what other people were projecting upon me. And I think this happens often. And so I became very cynical. I became very bitter. I became emotionally indifferent and detached. I was in survival mode. And I also became attracted to very dark things. I became very morbid. So this is about 45 years ago, this all happened. And this was at the time when the movie The Exorcist had first come out. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was much too young to see it, of course, but I was fascinated by that topic. You know, in the 70s, you had either, you know, Jean Dixon, I don't know if you remember her, very well-known clairvoyant. Yes. And you had the amazing Kreskin, who was a mentalist. Yes. And then everything else got lumped into the category of the occult, which was what it was being called then. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, demons and witches and vampires and werewolves and uh, spell casting. And I got attracted to all of that stuff because I was vulnerable. I was, it was an extremely vulnerable time in my life. And I, I've got to tell you something very dark and nefarious made its presence known to me every night. And it was there for the purpose of seducing me into recruitment. And it promised me power over my tormentors. Now you can imagine how attractive a prospect that was to be propositioned like that. And I also need to stress that it was not, it was not frightening or terrifying. It was unnerving and it was unpleasant, but it was not frightening. And the reason I'm stressing all of this, Sandra, for our listeners is that we are presently caught up in uh, a similar spiritual warfare on a much grander scale, and it's called the opioid epidemic. Yes, sure. So if you, if you interview people who have been drug abusers, if you interview people who have been addicted, if you interview people who have been alcoholics, as I have, oftentimes they will report that there was a presence around them, there was a heaviness around them, or they were hearing a voice or voices other than the voice that they would use to talk themselves through something, and the voice was telling them to harm themselves and others. And so this is what was happening to me. And it colored my way of being for a number of decades. And it wasn't until I was in my late 30s when I finally began to wake up and come out of a coma. And I decided I didn't want to behave like this any longer. I was sick and tired of behaving in a way that was in authentic. And I desired to become an improved version of my old self. And this is also another important point that I wish to make for your listeners, is that not one of us is locked into portraying ourselves in the way that people have always known us. If you desire to create truly authentic change, and transform, you can do it at any given moment. The choice is entirely yours. And 
I reclaimed my relationship with God, uh, about whom I had been very indifferent for quite some time. Um, I christened the very protective presence that I had felt around me for quite some time, because I've had a, a ridiculously blessed life in many, many ways. And once I honored the relationship, because it is a reciprocal relationship, you have to put energy and effort into it, just as you would with any friendship or any relationship that you care about. Once I did that, everything shot through the roof and came flooding back in waves. And I made up for decades in about three months' time. And it was an extraordinary growth spurt. I was being tutored and mentored in dreams every night. I was being given spiritual problems to solve. I was being shown various aspects of human nature that I would need to be aware of moving forward. And some of this started to spill over into real time as well. And Sandra, that is when the spiritual giftedness began to manifest. And I began doing the work professionally when I was 40, and I'm going on 55 now. What an incredible story, first of all, that you can switch. Uh, and that's very inspiring because I think many of us know people in the shoes of maybe not a, a drug user, but alcoholism or going down the wrong tunnel. And the fact that you can make the change. And I love how you say you must put the energy in. You know, so many of us just want like a miracle to show up on our doorstep. And uh, somebody had once said, there's actually a book, God will work with you, but not for you. And Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yes, because, you know, things really rarely fall into our laps. You ha as you just said, you have to put forth the effort. And that's the beauty of having free will. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, I, I'm really enjoying your story, even though I know there's hardships that, but I think, you know, the good and the bad, it all really forms us to who we are and then how we can serve because you've been there. So when you talk about your spiritual gifts coming, did you, uh, you know, the name of the show is We Don't Die. So I'm thinking in this conversation, you've got a, a story or two why you believe in the afterlife, but um, did things just start happening that you knew? I mean, even in the the realm of the afterlife that you knew you were onto something here that you chose to make this a career path? Mm -mm. Well, um, I knew there was an afterlife because I, I, I got a brief tour. <laughs> Did um, you? <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. Let's hear more. <laughs> very brief. Very brief. Um, it was one of those extremely vivid dreams where you feel as though it was extremely real. And, um, I felt that, and I've written about it also, I feel that I was on the outskirts of the heavenly realm. And I come to find out that what I saw and what I experienced, other people have seen also. I, I tend not to commiserate with other psychics, and I don't, I, I don't read a lot of other people's books uh, okay. because I don't want to be influenced. Sure. But I come to find out that a lot of other people have seen this same area where it is um, perpetually springtime. It's a beautiful meadow dotted with wildflowers, and there's a forest of evergreens at the far end, and there was a gorgeous waterfall beyond that. And um, I have learned that other people call it Summerland, 
Yes. And it's, are you familiar with it? I am. Oh, beautiful. This is such a great validation for me. And um, I have also seen Summerland used as an intermediary area for people who are in the process of transitioning, but maybe need a little extra help. Like when I, I think that the dying process and the transitioning process is as unique an individual as each one of us is unique. I agree. And so I don't think it's a one size fits all type of process. So I think some of us are going to know exactly where to go because we've, we're old hat at doing it. And so it's like a little minnow sort of wending its way downstream and we just know right where to go instinctively. Um, others might be a little bit confused or a little disoriented or need a little extra help. And so that's where I've seen Summerland being used. I have seen people's grandparents um, coming to greet them across the field. I have seen people's dogs come bounding and leaping across the field toward them. And that kind of reunion is just so irresistible because you get caught up in the elation and the jubilation of the emotion that it only makes sense to continue on the rest of the way with them. Um, so that's what I've seen. But I can also tell you that during this, this dream experience, um, I have very vivid recollection of all of my senses being heightened as well. And so I remember the smell of the, the evergreens. I remember looking at the waterfall and just by looking at it, feeling as though I was part of it, feeling as though I, my energy melded with it and I was experiencing the effervescence of the water as it splashed and shot around. Um, and it was just an amazing experience. And I've had a number of other glimpses of that, um, that infrastructure beyond the uh, Summerland area as well in prayers and in meditation time. And um, it's an amazing place. And what I have seen beyond Summerland, uh, and again, I, I don't feel it as though it's everything, but I think it's part of the heavenly realm, is what looks like an expansive university campus. And you'll have to tell me if you've seen this as well. Um, and all of the buildings, the gorgeous architecture, um, but all of the buildings are sort of bathed in this luminous glow of golden light. And I remember sort of floating past the buildings and they're translucent. And I suspect that it's really just sort of um, a way of marking space or marking territory, uh, you know, um, because I remember being in a room that wasn't a room. I mean, it, it was a space, but it didn't have walls. But I remember floating past these buildings and I could see inside of them. And it looked like, you know, classrooms and lecture halls. And I remember seeing these things grouped together that to me looked like frog eggs or fish eggs. <laughs> and it mm -hmm. took, me, took me a little while to figure out that those were representative of souls and groups and clusters of souls. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. It, um, it's a fascinating place. Um, it's not that you, you, know, you sort of lounge around on clouds, popping bonbons. I think there's a lot of activity going on. 
Um, and there's a lot to be doing. Yes, I, I hear that. And I've, I've done a lot of reading in your description. Sounds very close or right on to some of the things I've heard and even have interviewed quite a few people. Uh, attorney Roberta Grimes, I don't know if you know Roberta, but she's written many books. And one of them is called The Fun of Dying. And I had read it back uh, around when my dad passed away, and I really got actually ticked off by the title. But that's what had me read the book. And she is an attorney, business attorney, very smart woman, written several books, but she describes Summerland and the dying process. And, you know, so it's really interesting to hear your version because I'm thinking, wow, you're mm-hmm. tapping into the same thing. And I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, again, it's, it's a great validation when you have people unknown to one another who are experiencing something very similar to one another. And I think we also need to bear in mind that my experience is going to be different from others because it's all being filtered through this channel that is uniquely who I am. Correct. And so it may not align precisely with the experiences of others, but it's in the ballpark. Yeah, that great. No, nope, I think that's great. Now, I was on your website earlier today, and you've written many, many, many books uh, on all kinds of s- different subjects. And um, you are focusing, I mean, you've got your trilogy books and then you have your new book. Could you talk a little bit about how you, um, well, even started writing books and um, what your passion is today? Well, I have um, several passions. I have to say that my foremost passion is for the psychic mediumship work that I do. Um, I've also healed people of physical pain and discomfort through a process that I just sort of um, figured out intuitively. And it takes less than five minutes to do. Um, It's very quick, probably because I don't have a great attention span. (laughs) But um, I I love the work that I do so much. And I'm fascinated by it personally. As I said, I always have been interested in things that are unique and unusual. And my latest book, The Secret Language of Spirit, was written after I went to the movies. And I saw a picture, I don't know if you've seen it, called Arrival. I believe it came out last year. Yes, I have. I have. With um, Amy Adams. Yeah, I like as it. A, as a university professor who is a linguist specializing in uh, decoding um, un- unusual foreign languages mm-hmm. or un- little known languages. And she gets tapped by the United States Army to help to decode extraterrestrial communication. Yes. And... I was, so, I was so impressed by that film because I thought it was so realistically presented. It was great. But I also thought to myself, you know, I'm doing that too. In the work that I do, it's like deciphering hieroglyphics because spirit rarely communicates to us in ways that are audible in terms of language unless it happens in a dream in a dream state, you know, when spirit communicates to us during our waking hours, it's usually in ways that are cryptic and iconic and symbolic. And that requires some tweaking and interpreting to understand. 
And so I really wrote the secret language of spirit as a, a primer for the lay person to understand what may be going on around them on a regular or daily basis in terms of paying attention to signs and symbols and signals. And the thing that I think is really interesting is that as a culture, we are globally shifting more and more towards communicating with one another in the ways that align with spirit speak, and it's called emojis. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people are already communicating in ways that are symbolic uh, with the understanding that the person that we're sending that information to will will get it, will understand it and know how to interpret it properly. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that you call the, the the book the secret language of spirit, understanding standing spirit communication in our everyday lives. It's inclusive of us. It's it's um, common, I think, for anyone who's grieving or lost a loved one, or you know, in, in that category, to think we need to consult a psychic medium that our loved one is somewhere out there. And I feel very strongly that they're around. And like you had said, I I think we're busy in the afterlife, but we can be just a breath away to our loved ones. And can you talk about um, maybe some of these signs or some of the the secret language that might be happening around us, but we we might just chalk it up to a coincidence or that didn't really just happen. But maybe there are some subtle clues that we have happening coming from the spirit world. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? I would like to do that. May I just take a moment to address uh, the point that you were making about our loved ones being busy um, and then also around us and of you know, desiring to hear from them? Because what I encounter um, a lot in my work is people who have stopped living their lives because they are so overcome with grief and they are immersed in desperation yes. to hear a, a sign or a communication of some sort from a deceased loved one, um, those are the people who absolutely should not be coming to see me as a psychic medium. The desperation creates a huge emotional blockage. It's almost like erecting a brick wall or a concrete slab between myself and the spirit realm. Um, And because, and I I can say this because I have had loved ones in spirit come through to me. um, And sometimes in, you know, very colorful language, basically say to them, knock it off um, in ways that they would understand, knock it off. Um, You know, you, you, you keep pulling on me, and you're, you're preventing me from, you're, you, you constantly compel me to be dividing my energy and um, you need to move on with your life. I want to be fondly remembered by you and there will be emotional connections that I will be sending your way that coincide with music that you hear spontaneously that, that reminds you of me or other scents 
or aromas that remind you of me, but let me find you, not the other way around. You can't live your life constantly expecting or sometimes even demanding a sign, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it's worth definitely talking about because also I know some very good psychic mediums. I mean, really good. And to come to like from that demand and also I do think, um, you know, grief is a process that we go through, but we can be a little bit proactive also uh, and maybe not you know, because there's times that we feel guilt, there's times that we cry, and obviously you, ha- you have to express all those. But to do some proactive things to make yourself feel better, go out for a walk, be out in the sun, uh, be with people, things that can raise our energy. But I do, I have heard these stories from some really good mediums when there is such heaviness and such demand that it doesn't provide the energy needed to have that communication take place. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, that's, that has been my experience. And so I tell people, you know, let's, let's wait a good nine months to a year before you even consider that as an option. Um, because again, the, des- the desire, not desperation, will work in your favor. And if you're still immersed in grief, um, it's just not, it's not a good time. And I just don't think it's a healthy option either. Yeah, I just thought of something, William, that I thought maybe I'll share is I had gotten an email a couple of years ago from a woman um, who's, well, she was a younger woman, uh, whose brother accidentally killed himself with a BB gun. They were playing with one and it hit him just in the right place to end his life. And she was so distraught and um, felt guilty and there's so much grief and she tried everything but there were no signs from him and I just I, I talked a little bit via email about changing her energy and put, setting her sights on doing things to try not to stew on that and it's hard it's very difficult especially when we are grieving but I gave her just some exercises to do things that would lift her vibration up a little bit make her feel a little better and didn't I get an email from her that it was just something that you just said she says I can't believe it she says when I, I started focusing on volunteering is what she did and getting her mind off herself and doing things to make herself feel better but she said the brother had this really random favorite song and he liked the acoustic version that was never on the radios well she said she started hearing it everywhere she went and she's like that was the sign for her that her brother was around but it was it was in his time when she had started feeling better that he was able to get through with just some yeah. random song that she says nobody even heard of and she says i'm hearing it all the time so it it yeah. gave her a total um, new outlook i think that's such a beautiful validation that something so rare and unusual, such as the acoustic version of a song that she was hearing regularly, um, is a validation yes. of her um, sort of, you know, taking taking control and and not continuing to to portray herself in a victim sort of pattern of energy, but desiring to uh, be of service to others and to give back yes. to others, and you know, not to um, not to suppress memories of her brother, certainly, but to sort of reclaim 
her, her the space that she occupies mm-hmm. in a way that is proactive. Right. So like that song would be, a, a, for instance, anyways, about these uh, subtle messages come through the secret language of the spirit. But what else could we be paying attention to now that we've had this interview that we might mm-hmm. have chalked up before to our imagination? What kind of yeah. things? Well, you, uh, you know, it's sort of springboarding off of this discussion, when people pass suddenly or unexpectedly, um, as the, in the example that you cited, there can be a lot of guilt associated with that. And I hear this quite a bit, actually, Sandra, that people tell me they're having dreams of their loved ones who are angry with them or won't talk to them or walk away without saying anything or seem very upset with them. And I tell them consistently that um, if your loved one is where he or she should be, meaning the heavenly realm, and that they have transitioned successfully, that is not them. Yes. (laughs) Because if they are where they should be, they have absolutely released all hold on any low vibration human Mm -hmm. emotions such as hate, anger, Um, depression, resentment, anything like that. And oftentimes it is the human brain's way of venting our own psychology in our dreams in an effort to sort of work through some of the issues that we feel are still outstanding with our loved ones. But when our loved ones have made it to where they should be uh, and we have a dream in which there is an amazing reunion and maybe we feel as though we are in Summerland or maybe we feel as though we are in a a secluded and very tranquil space with this person and there are loving and positive thoughts that get exchanged. And we may not remember anyone speaking, but we know that we were with them and when we wake up, we may even be kind of weepy because it's felt so real. As you know, that's called a visitation. Yes. And the dream state is certainly a common vehicle by which spirit can communicate with us because we've been conditioned since infancy that in dreams, anything is possible. And our mind is relaxed oftentimes. And there's the opportunity there for that, that spiritual reunion. So, uh, that's one way, and I'm I'm sure that you know you and I could both tell many more stories about people who have experienced those visitations, mm-hmm. um, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, another way is the manifestation of threes. Now, what do you being, mean? <laughs> well, yes, well, <laughs> uh, be, you know, being someone who is um, I wouldn't say devoutly religious, but certainly spiritual, I you know equate three with the Holy Trinity. Uh, and I think, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, the, the master of suspense, the great director said, yes. if you want an audience to retain something, you have to show it to them three times before it sticks. So the first time we might overlook it mm-hmm. or not give it much thought. The second time 
it might strike us as sort of an odd coincidence. But the third time, there's no mistaking it. And it's a little bit more than coincidental by the third time. Right. So this is another way of spirit's ability to reach out and communicate to us to um, I, I've had a lot of people rack their brains saying, I, I don't know what somebody's trying to tell me. I don't think it's necessarily that anybody's trying to tell you anything. It's that you are being validated. Mm-hmm. You are being affirmed. Who you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking, where you're going in the moment. It's like a little, I interpret it as a little road marker to let you know you're where you should be. You're doing what you should be doing. So I'm talking about looking up at a digital clock and seeing it say 111 or 333. Mm-hmm. Um, this happens to me often when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll roll over and the clock will say 222, for example. But it goes beyond seeing triple digit numbers as well. It also includes the manifestation of objects. For example, pennies from heaven. I'm sure we've both got stories about people finding coins unexpectedly or on an, in unusual places, yes. particularly in your own home. So it might be the manifestation of three coins. Um, I, there's a beautiful story that I write about in The Secret Language of Spirit and my experience with three, seeing three ladybugs on three consecutive days and then it stops. And researching the spiritual meaning of the ladybug and then applying it a week later to a family in need and being able to assuage their fears and anxieties because the ladybug symbolizes releasing your anxieties and trusting trusting that all will be well. So it's that sort of thing that we want to be more attuned to. Now, not everything is something and I think some people do go a little bit overboard with some of this. Mm-hmm. So again, let it, let it find you. It's not something that you have to go searching for and hunting for and distract your time from devoting to what you should be doing. It will find you. And I think it's important to say, William, that we have to pay attention. We live in such an age of technology and you know, there's always a ding going off on my cell phone, email coming through. There's a lot of stimulus happening at one time. But when we can, uh, this is what I think anyways, quiet our minds a little bit and be in the present moment, I think that that helps to be able to notice these things. I think it helps enormously. Um, I'm probably one of 17 people left in the country that refuses to use a cell phone (laughs) because I don't want the distraction. And when I go for walks every day, I I see people who can't enjoy a walk for being on their cell phone. Right. So um, I do think, you know, powering everything down and spending time in solitude, I'm concerned that people don't know how to do that anymore. And maybe going for a walk or engaging in something for which you hold a great passion, for example, cooking a meal for someone else or creating something that you're going to give away or volunteering your time doing for others, that does definitely open you up when you you disconnect from distractions and your mind is relaxed. And then that's when I think it's much easier for spirit to to um, 
get our attention. I want to just tell a funny story that just happened to me is some of my listeners know that I recently um, bought a book. It's called The History of Ghosts. And Dan Aykroyd, who wrote Ghostbusters and starred in it also, it's his father that wrote the book and, his, and he does the foreword. And it's been on my desk, like, oh, I got to read the book. Like, it's right in there in my mind that you know, Sandra opened the book. It's always there recently, William. So I just went to the grocery store this morning and I had the radio on and all of a sudden I hear, hi, this is Dan Aykroyd. And he's he's got his own vodka these days, but I hear this advertisement for his vodka and I just heard his name and his voice. And I thought, there's my sign to open the book and start reading. And, yeah. uh, yeah. Now, someone who is, and I, I very much appreciate and respect that you are a former skeptic and, yeah. um, I, I'm Nasty skeptical skeptic. too. Yep. You know, <laughs> I'm skeptical about what I do also, you know, it Good. has to be pretty profound to impress me. Right. Um, and, and stick with me. But, um, someone who is skeptical or disbelieving would just blow that off or not pay attention to it at all, not make the connection. Oh, not me though. I mean, I've heard it in my mind a lot because, you know, the, there's some stuff that I've been researching on this world of trance mediumship and physical mediumship. I'm all over the map researching the afterlife. Uh, but, you know, there's this term called ectoplasm that was in the movie Ghostbusters. And come to find out that when he wrote the movie, it was Dan Aykroyd and his dad really witnessed some stuff uh, that happened uh, many, many, many years ago, and he based some of it on writing the movie. And I just thought, you know, there's so much more to life than meets the eye. And so, you know, in my uh, spare time, I like to read different things. And it's just, it was so cute today that I got that affirmation uh, that it's like, okay, Sandra, you like this stuff, read the book. So anyways, William, I don't want to forget to ask you, you have a trilogy of books um, that deal with autism. You've got autism and the God connection, the soul of autism and the autism prophecies. I do know we have a lot of listeners who have children with autism. And I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about what those uh, books are about and how autism can relate to spirituality. Right. Well, I don't wish to polarize anyone to an unreasonable extreme. So uh, people with autism um, are oftentimes de- devalued and dehumanized, quite frankly. Definitely. And so that's one extreme. That's one extreme. But taking it to the other extreme would be that they're all God's special little angels sent here to, you know, deliver us and so on. And I've had people with autism be very critical of um, of that position as well. But what I will say uh, is that I think that. A lot of people on the autism spectrum are naturally predisposed to tapping the spiritual aspect of their personhood because of vibrating at a higher frequency than the average person. Uh, I, I don't know if you had the opportunity to look uh, deeply into my website, but I am myself on the autism spectrum. but. Uh, did not understand that until I was um, un- well into adulthood. So it it made a lot of sense and explained mm-hmm. a lot uh, with respect to what I experienced growing up. But I think that 
my version of autism grants me the ability to tap my spiritual gifts and talents a little bit more naturally, perhaps, than the average person for two reasons. Um, And this will apply to uh, a lot of your listeners who have family members on the autism spectrum as well. The first is that my physiology, my senses, and my emotions vibrate at a much higher frequency than the average person. So I I told you the story about sobbing in church as a six-year-old and not being able to control that. And I remember, you know, just bursting into tears as a child hearing you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary saying, where have all the flowers gone? And where have all the soldiers gone? And, you know, that, that degree, that, that deepness of emotion, I think is oftentimes very much part and parcel of that autistic experience as well. Uh, So that, that vibrating at a higher frequency makes it a little bit more conducive to tap into spiritual energies that are already vibrating at a high energy. Um, And the second reason why I I think that uh, I'm maybe more naturally able to grasp that, that spiritual giftedness aptitude is that I, like many people with autism, I think in pictures and movies, constant streams of visual imagery. So I am very much enjoying our conversation, but simultaneously, there's a projector rolling film, and I am seeing images that correlate to everything that we're talking about. Wow. And so that sounds like a lot of work and effort, but it's not at all. It's autopilot, I'm sure, for you. It is, exactly. It is completely effortless. It is natural. It is fluid and fluent. And it is exactly um, one of the primary ways in which spirit communicates to me, and that's called clairvoyance, which is being impressed with pictures, movies, words, phrases, names, and so on. Hmm. So when you're doing a, a reading for someone, are you seeing, are, are these images coming through that are pictures and then you're just like the telephone that you're translating what it is you're seeing? Yes. Well, um, I am blessed that spirit will play off all of the clairs with me. So it's not just the clairvoyance. Aren't you they, lucky? <laughs> they will send me, you know, the pictures and movies and words, but they may also make me feel something physically. Oh. I may also smell, hear, or taste something as well. So they're playing off of my senses, my emotions, and my memories. Oh, can you give us an example of maybe something you'd smelled or tasted? Because I think that's interesting. Well, <laughs> I haven't heard those stories. In, in, a nice yeah, story. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> Oh, well, I was going to tell you a not-so-nice story. Well, you can tell me not-so-nice as long as it's appropriate for our over 21-year-old you know, listeners. I mean, there, there have been several occasions where I'm, I'm working with folks, um, usually in an audience type of setting, and I, I'm, taste, uh, you know, I'm honing in on a couple of people. And I, I start tasting blood in my mouth. Oh. And um, they will say, yes, he, he put a the barrel of a gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. And that's how he passed. Okay. Yeah. 
Now, um, the pleasant thing is that there are many times when I end up channeling um, grandmas Mm -hmm. and they are very appreciative of the opportunity and they want to make sure that neither myself nor my client leaves um, on an empty stomach. And so they will start making their specialty for us and I'm smelling it. And in one, on one occasion, um, gosh, and I, I'm trying to remember this woman's ethnicity. You know, this is fascinating to me because I'm learning new things all the time sure. that get that verified by clients. But this grandma, um, she did not speak English. And fortunately, my spiritual team uses Google Translate. So they're able to <laughs> <You're funny. laughs> take a foreign language and put it into words for me. But this grandma was making um, a, a dish with rice and spices, and she was wrapping it in banana leaves. And I said to my client, "Do you is this right? Am I seeing this correctly? It smells good. Do you know what this is? And she said, oh, yes, it's such and such. And my grandma used to make it all the time. That's great. That's fantastic. You know, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, uh, chocolate cookies. Um, other times it's um, they're they're busy in the kitchen uh, whipping up her birthday cake with candles on it, and mm-hmm. it's because either my client just had or is about to have a birthday, or someone else in the immediate family has a birthday either that day or in that month, and they wish to acknowledge the birthday. Oh, that's great! Really great, William. Your website, WilliamStillman.com pretty easy. Um, Could you just walk us through what's available on your website if someone goes there now to uh, do a little research on you, see your books, and even someone might feel compelled to uh, find you to do a one-on-one? And is that something people can do? That's something that people can do. Um, I am based in Pennsylvania, as you said. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are opportunities to do that live and in person if you're in the area. Um, I will also do something long distance using phone or Skype. Great. And um, there's, uh, you know, biographical background on me, uh, on the work that I've done in the field of autism and in the psychic work that I've done. If people go to the psychic bio portion of my website uh, and they scroll all the way down, there's a bunch of videos where they can see me in action so they can make up their own mind Great. about the authenticity of what I do. And if, uh, if people listening are Facebook people, um, on the homepage in the upper left corner of my website, they can click through to my Facebook page. And every morning, I put up an original inspirational quote that I've received in my prayers and meditation time, and I pair that with an image. And it might be a nice way for people to start their day. Oh, I like that. And I do believe you have to, anytime we consult anybody, you know, it's, it's good to get recommendations from friends, but also to find, you know, research their stuff. Is this somebody that your soul resonates with? You know? Absolutely. That's so important. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And yep. uh, I did notice I have an aunt who I live with that is a huge Wizard of Oz fan. And I was a little amazed to see that you have some Wizard of Oz books. Could you just speak briefly as to uh, your love for Wizard of Oz? Oh my gosh. It, 
I didn't pick it. It picked me. What do you so mean? I think, <laughs> I think I came out of the womb knowing everything there is to know about the Wizard of Oz. But I think, you know, in hindsight, it's really in keeping with that fascination with things that are unusual and, and mystical. And um, I, I, it's been a passion of mine for many, many years. And um, I've been really pl- privileged to amass an amazing collection and to have written a number of books on the subject. Oh, I think it's just wonderful. And uh, we're recording this with still a few days to go till Christmas, so I might be doing a little shopping on Amazon for my auntie. <laughs> Is there something I should be asking you that I haven't, or something that you feel compelled to share? There's so much about you, and I and I want to give you the floor to just share. Um, or if you're even seeing some pictures and images and feelings right now that you think is important to share. Well, um, that's a process that I enter into with great deliberation. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I haven't flipped the switch for the okay. purposes of our interview today, but I would not like to leave, I would like to leave our listeners with a thought, if I may. Uh, and that is to never underestimate the power and the potential that you hold to forever alter the course of someone's life with a kind word, a gentle smile, and a thoughtful gesture. That's beautiful. And we don't think of that, well, I'm speaking for myself, in the busyness of our lives. Kind word, gentle smile. Or a gesture. Thoughtful gesture. Thoughtful so gesture. think, so, you know, especially at this time of the year that we're taping our interview, it's, you know, the holiday season. Think about being stuck in a long line of a cash register. And that's when people tend to devolve into a lot of complaining. So see that as an opportunity and a teachable moment to set an example and maybe change the course of the conversation by giving the person in front of you a compliment or expressing some compassion for their situation or their struggle or whatever it is that's going on. Mm -hmm. There's an opportunity there. Oh, I love it. Kind word, gentle smile, thoughtful gesture. And it can be as easy as the gal that was checking me out today at the, that sounded funny, checking me out, but she was behind the register at the supermarket and she just smiled. And I just thought, you have a beautiful smile. And I put that thought on loudspeaker and I just saw her light up. And that's a simple and easy thing. It is a simple, easy thing to do. And I, I am concerned that we don't think to do it often enough. No. No, and smiles are free. Smile. I was in the airport uh, just traveling with my mom of last week, and I didn't even tell her, but I just played this little game. Let me see how many people I can make smile just with eye contact. And because, you know, very hard sometimes to make eye contact, but just a, not a weird smile, but just a real quick, like, hello, smile. And uh, I got, I think, 10 smiles in a very short period of time. And I thought, Aww. okay, mission accomplished. That's it. That's it. That's lovely. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to know that. Thank you for doing your part. Just a little thing, but I, you know, I get busy myself and I forget these things. So I appreciate it. But you it. know, I, I think we don't realize how much we are able to create a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these, I've interviewed a bunch of people who've had near death experiences. And speaking of ripple effects, they all say that there's this life review 
and you first see yourself um, from the shoes of the people you impacted. So you'll feel if there's any negativity thrown their way. But then they say you see the ripple effect of the good that you've done and how mm. far that has reached what other people do. And, and it all starts with your kind word, gentle smile, or thoughtful gesture. Well, William, Beautiful. thank you for being our guest today. Well, thank you for being a gracious hostess and for inviting me to be on your program. I had a great time, Sandra. I did too, and I hope you, our listener, also had a great time. Gives us some really great things to think about, and um, better than just think about them, put them into action. Because I love love it, you know. Uh, Advice is good, but when we actually are on the court with it, I think is when things can shift and... and, uh, yeah, and I'll be on the lookout for some of the secret language of spirit, paying more attention, setting my cell phone down and not being attention to every ding. I'm really lucky that we've interviewed one of the 17 people without a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody can brag about that. You should listen to this great show called We Don't Die. In fact, <laughs> this is one of the guests. I love that. Oh, you just brightened my day. But for our listener, I want to invite you this September, every September, there's a what's called the Afterlife Symposium that takes place uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. This coming year, it is September 14th through 16th. You can find out more at afterlifesymposium.org. And even if you cannot make it to Scottsdale, that's okay. I still say go to the website because there are some people doing some cutting edge things in the world of afterlife communication, things about grief, things like I didn't even know were happening. And so you can find out more on that website. And our home base for this show is we don't die radio.com. And of course, you can listen on iTunes or YouTube or many podcast sites. But if you go to we don't die radio and uh, you can get a free copy of something I call How to Survive Grief. I've written a report called 19 Reasons to Believe in the Afterlife and several chapters of my book, which is called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I have just this giant smile on my face after talking to William Stillman. Again, his website is williamstillman.com. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So one more time, you can offer a kind word, a gentle smile, or a thoughtful gesture. So let's put that on our radar screens for us today and every day. So I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. (music) 